Hey, what's going on, Pinpoint Players? This is Ramsey again with the Pinpoint Players, and I'm joined again with my co-host, Tim. Hey there, guys. So, we were kind of going back and forth if we were going to do an episode on this, and I think given the recent events in the world with Ukraine and everybody, I mean, everybody at this point should be aware of that. The only people I don't think they're aware of it, or at least the full truth, are folks in Russia, China, North Korea, but that's a whole separate topic for a whole separate audience. In any case, very serious stuff going on these days. And certainly is. I'm sure everyone is aware of the invasion in Ukraine that Russia has mounted against the sovereign nation and uh, thrown the world into turmoil. Uh, this is not something that I ever foresaw happening in my lifetime. And to be quite honest, when I first heard the news, the only thing that I could think about was that we had entered the stages of World War III which is still a very likely possibility. But let's, we wanted let's to... Let's cross our fingers that one doesn't happen. Yeah, it would be... I hate, to, I hate to ponder on such things, but as the nature of reality is, uh, I think that it is best that we also keep in mind that this is something that's happening in the world, something that we are all a part of. We are all on this planet, and that one particular area of our planet is in distress and using them to kind of highlight some of these things but also bring to attention uh the country of ukraine and it's you know the, the amazing things coming from it but exactly yeah this is an unusual episode for us because this is a very serious one but it's, we kind of just wanted to talk about ukraine its games and its you know population that enjoys these things and kind of the unprecedented nature of the invasion and some of the things this invasion has caused in terms of, in this case, the gaming industry. So with that end, uh, I believe you did a little bit of homework and you found uh, There's a couple, something interesting. Yeah, something popped up on my Twitter that was very unusual. I mean, given the nature of how unusual everything has become. Uh, but it struck me as sort of philosophically at the same time as I read it. Uh, I'm sure that some people uh, may be aware, but I pulled this article off of the Wall Street Journal. Joseph Diavalia. Uh, it's called Nintendo Delays Release of Advanced Wars Video Game Citing Recent World Events. And it was released by Nintendo Company that Advanced Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp would be rescheduled for uh, a later release until further notice. Uh, and they The original release date was on April 8th. Uh, as of recording this, that time has passed and the video game still hasn't been released or an announcement been made uh, by Nintendo in regards to the release of that. But it was several months after the invasion of Ukraine. And the thought that occurred to me when I first read that was an acknowledgement of what Nintendo sees as uh, violent media in games. And they wanted to prevent... The encouragement of war in uh, younger minds. Uh, that is a topic for another day, but what struck me about it was that nothing like this has happened before in video game history. Uh, the delay of a video game because of war, it's never occurred. Not even close, because you think about all the other events, it's like, yes, I'm sure there are some video games that maybe were supposed to be distributed, but maybe some small skirmishes throughout the world have prevented that but this is a very interesting one because this flat out has just never happened something being delayed by a war basically i mean i mean in general this 
the, those two things don't really happen in the same sense because when you think war, for the most part, I mean, wars still do occur, but when you think war, you think the big ones. You think World War II. You might think Vietnam. You might think Korea. But, but those were all in the past. Those were all a while ago. And again, I want to stress this. Wars, conflicts still do occur today around the world, but this is a pretty sizable one. I mean, this is a country of, I think, 45 million people, like being invaded by a country of 150. So it's no small thing. This is a big deal. And for reference, just to piggyback off what you were saying about the uh, uh, the article you found about this being delayed. There's only one other instance I found. I just found this out with you a little while ago was the um, Stalker series, which I'm going to get to more in that second. That is another inst- franchise that mm. was being developed actually in Ukraine. Also delayed because of war. Again, strange times. So, But I didn't want to be all doom and gloom, even though it is a lot of doom and gloom this episode, because we want to highlight the amazing things of Ukraine. We want to highlight the amazing games. We want to highlight the amazing interest that a lot of Ukrainians have in the video game market. I mean, so I looked this, into this recently, um, and some of this I, I knew, but a lot of it I didn't. Video games in Ukraine began to emerge in the 1990s with the appearance of the first studios. Their very first game they ever commercially developed was a game called Admiral Sea Battles, which was devoted to marine battles. A bunch. It was basically made by, a, I think, a smallish ragtag team. I think it was ultimately distributed on the... So it's the early 90s, I'm going to assume it was the... Uh, PC market or DOS. So this is remember this is early '90s. So Bill Gates didn't quite run the show yet, but he was on his way too. He was learning from these people, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Definitely. But the um, big contribution though was a studio in the 2000s uh, called GCS Game World, and their first game in the series they developed, I think, was a game called Cossacks European Wars. Uh, the idea to create this game came in 97, when Age of Empires released. So, obviously, you can tell right there, you know, Ukrainian minds very much influenced by games in other parts of the world. Age of Empires being a big one from the U.S., so they tried to develop their own game. And it looked like it was a real-time strategy game that was uh, to be take place in the 17th and 18th century, because the Middle Ages, and I'm reading this here from the wiki, there was definitely influence from other markets to kind of create their own stuff, but... The biggest, con- the biggest one that got them on the map was a game called Stalker, which was a very popular first-person shooter RPG-style game that was released in the uh, late 2000s that was only a PC exclusive. I had heard of it, but I never got to play it. It's basically about uh, alternative events where another Chernobyl happens, another nuclear-style meltdown happens in 2006. And from reading some of it, it gets pretty crazy and wild, but very interesting. And... It's very popular to the point where even 12, 13 years later, it's actually getting a sequel of Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl, but it's indefinitely put on hold because of the invasion of Ukraine. This is the developer saying this, not me. Well, that's fascinating. So tell me, I'd like to learn more about the first game, the ship game. I mean, uh, it was developed in the early 90s and... I mean, I'm just curious, like, where they would have gotten their idea. But... So, good news. Um, I just looked this up, and this is kind of neat. Somebody actually has released the game on the internet. Um, I'm sure it's like some... They ripped the ROM from, like, the Windows CD or whatever. But, in any case, it's there. It can be played. Um, what's odd is it says that the game is from 96, so I'm not sure if it was first put on DOS, then put on Windows in 96. Mm. That I'm not sure. But, 
It says, Admiral Seabell is releasing 96 on Windows. It is playable with some tinkering. So somebody actually figured out a way to make it playable for modern players. And that's pretty cool. Like, I'm looking at the images, the screenshots. It's it's definitely a very crude um, in terms of its graphics, but it was the mid-90s. It kind of, it, it kind of reminds me of a SimCity 1, where okay. it's top-down... It's very rudimentary. It doesn't. Its menu, its UI isn't very advanced, but because it's the '90s, it's kind of what was expected of the day. But okay. even still, I mean, valued enough of an effort, especially um, for your first game, like for a country at least commercially. But to be honest, when I think of video games, because I'm so old, I immediately think of games like SimCity One, Open TDD, uh, Venture. What's it, bro? Venture, not Venture Bros. That's a great show. On, it is a great show on Adult Swim, but um, the Bro Force, uh, P- yeah, PlayStation Bro Force. I think of those, you know, eight. What are those? Eight bit or sixteen bit? I think, I think some of them were. I mean, it depends. It depends on the era, but I'm pretty sure at that point we were sixteen, graduating okay. thirty two. All right, but those are the types of games that I think of, and honestly, I enjoy those. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know, pinpoint players. I I love the switch and i love the playstation 4 i haven't played the playstation 5 yet i don't have the money but it's okay that it's they're damn near impossible to find anyway uh, even a year and a half later but that's another story that's another story but you know i i grew up with video games like uh final the final fantasy series legends of zelda series pokemon the original pokemon the good pokemon you know, fucking gatekeeper <laughs> lock the gate anyway it's exciting to hear that that something like that came out of ukraine especially since with everything that's going on there's a lot of misinformation about you know what's happening and what's going on and what kind of country and people they are but it, it goes to show you that we're all just people and that uh, a ukrainian game designer can think hey i want to sail a ship and I want to make a game about sailing a ship. Yeah, mar- uh, maritime battles. I mean, hey, for some people, that's their thing. They like, um, like my, my father-in-law, he's really interested in, um, specifically, I think, uh, naval battles during the Napoleonic Wars. It's a very specific thing. That is. But, he's, but like I said, there's a niche for everybody. There's a game for everybody. But to the, but to the um, this specific thing, I mean, look... Children from Ukraine, people from Ukraine, just are like anybody else. Right. They see a game that looks fun, they want to play the game. It's like, even if it's not in their native language. For example, Mario. It's pretty easy to probably translate the three word, or the whatever the sentence is, uh, your, your princess is another castle, it's like another language. I mean, there's not exactly any spoken dialogue, so easy enough to, you know, transport that to another region. I mean, it's like any country in Europe or the world, really. It's There's always going to be folks interested in... Uh, stuff from other countries that want to kind of do it themselves. I mean, hell, if we did an episode on another country, I'm sure we'd find that they've contributed quite a bit of, you know, cool games, soundtrack, whatnot. And You know what I'm thinking of as we're, as you're talking about that right now is how many games that we have absorbed or uh, experienced that weren't in their native language. We received them with a translated version kind of thing. Uh, I bet there's probably a lot of the Final Fantasy franchise, oh. a lot of oh, for sure. Castlevania, I assume, came from, like, Germany, I assume. No, from Japan. Uh, oh, that's another was, uh, Japanese from, game? Well, yeah, from Konami. You're right! 
Oh man, Konami did uh, Yukio. Jesus, what am I thinking of? Well, I was gonna say like Konami in their Konami in their early days, man, they made some really good, cutting edge, fun games. I mean, they made some turds every now and again, but which which game company has it? But they made some really good games and. Where was I going? Where were we going? With oh, this how many games that we received or uh, enjoyed oh, that weren't countries. in their native language? Yeah, because yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of game franchises that I played that you know the developer was maybe uh, you know originally French. Like um, I'm trying to remember the game series. It's like a, where you choose the dialogue. Um, there Telltale. Are a lot of no, it's Telltale series. But it's Telltale like it's another developer. It was a French developer. Um, it was called Don't Nod. They made um. This game series came out originally on the PS4. Oh my god. What Life is Strange, I think, is from Don't Nod, which is... Yes, it's from Don't Nod, which is a French video developer based in Paris. So again, look at that. More, okay. Even more like, games. Yeah, and it was pretty popular. They made a prequel, and they made a direct sequel. Or maybe not a direct, but a sequel nonetheless. You know, and, so. yeah. and then, obviously, the Final Fantasy's Konami. I mean, like I said, there's... From regions all over the world that's... You and I have played games through our childhood, and I'm glad you mentioned the idea of um, a game in a non-native language, like being played by us or by Americans, that became popular. Stalker is one of them, and on that same vein, another one is the Metro series, which it's oh yeah translation. It reminded me of that because so quick backstory. Um, so Metro is a game series made by 4A Games, which is based in Kiev, by. Three developers that actually departed from the GSC game world, so that first one that made the Stalker series. So three of them split off, made their own series, and they made Metro. They made a game called Metro Twenty Three, in an adaptation of a novel of the same name by a Russian author named Dmitry Glukovsky. I'm probably, hopefully, I pronounced that right. Anyway, book is based on the events of uh, nukes going off, and so as the nukes were going off, people had to escape into the underground of the metro system in Russia. To get to safety because of the radiation and all the fallout from the surface. However, in this, just like in kind of in other sci-fi events, supernaturally type stuff, you know, radiation affected creatures made the outside world dangerous. Not just a radiation zone, but like flying night creatures that will basically kill you pretty easily. And in the game itself, it gets pretty freaky. Like I remember playing the first part of the first, but I remember playing the second game where you have these like you're outside, you have these creatures flying at you and they can kill you pretty easily, so you have to like, and you have to pick your shots carefully because in that world, uh, bullets are hard to come by, like any survival game. But specifically, there are certain powerful bullets that are actually used as currency in that world, and so you can either try and hold those bullets as long as possible to get better upgrades. But sometimes when you're fighting against a really tough creature, you have to ask yourself, should I spend these bullets to do it? Because this is a really tough creature and this part level is really tough, so it gets into a whole you know, should I, shouldn't I kind of a situation. Anyway, that aside, great survival, horror, whatever type game you want to call it. It's pretty cool. They developed a third, they made a third game a few years back, so, I mean, it's pretty popular. I think that's been the biggest game to come out of uh, Ukraine um, most recently, and it would not surprise me if they might be working on uh, some other uh, game in the near future. doesn't say so here, but I expect at some point but for reference, the most recent game was Metro Exodus that came out three years ago, and it's on basically every system, including the PS5. Hey, nice. Nice. So as I said, every country has their awesome game thing they do, and Ukraine's no exception. I mean, I could name called France. UK probably has some good developers. I mean, the US obviously has a plethora. Sure. Again, we just want to call 
um, you know, highlight Ukraine because Ukraine just like the whole point of this episode is not just to, you know, highlight Ukraine's amazing things that it's done, but show that Ukraine is another country with a population that has interesting games, wants to make their own games, and people that just want to get by with their life, do their nine to five job so that way they can go home and play these games with their friends, just like any of us when we were kids. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. None of what I'm saying is nuance, but I know it is important. This is an important topic. It's important to mention this country's contributions as it goes through a tough time. Yeah, and the outlet of a video game we've always stressed has been an artistic expression, as well as the ability to be a marketing tool. The one thing that I recognize looking at the Metro series and the Stalker series coming out of Ukraine, they both have a lot of similarities considering that both of them deal with nuclear apocalyptic destruction and survival, which may highlight game developers either fears of such an inevitable doom for casting itself on the earth or their uh they were definitely influence when they were would, kids i would certainly think so it, it would seem to have come from somewhere since this idea is very prevalent and you know cropping up again and again but i also look at it the same way that america looks at world war ii Video games about World War II, Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, you know, those games are very in-your-face, modern warfare. They gets us into the, the same sense, you know, something that we're preparing for. Games are, are very much kind of like uh, books and movies, a reflection of a, a culture's, you know, events they've gone through. I mean, obviously the U.S. is like highlighting World War II in its games. So it's like, yeah, we came in and saved the day, even though we really didn't. But hey, yeah, we came in and saved the day. We're going to use this tool to make you think that we did. Yeah, and you're going to be a part of it, and you're going to be integrated, and you're going to have fun. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then, and I'm sure if we were to play games specifically from other regions of the world, you get that same sort of highlight. Mm. I mean, actually in the same vein, because we talked about Japanese games earlier, I mean... You can see the art style and the the feel of like the Japanese games when you play the Final Fantasy because that style of art, I'm sure somebody in America, I'm not saying they couldn't have made it, but that's distinct style you saw for the concept art of like the first Final Fantasies. That's distinctly them. That's distinctly mm. like somebody from Japan running with it. Yeah, it's the culture. It's the influence that they were raised in, the environment. Exactly. It's uh, And that's why stuff like this is awesome because you get to see every culture's you know hopes and fears emulated in their mediums in this case gaming i mean with ukraine it's no surprise that's both their most popular games stalker and metro you know having some sort of nuclear fear or whatever being emulated in both those games in a certain capacity i mean stalker is more of the uh you know, it's just kind of stuck to the Chernobyl exclusion area, freaky area, but the Metro one's a lot more terrifying. And the, the Metro one, I will say, having read the first book, it's an actually, an, it's a really good read. It's, um, originally came out Russian, but it took a few years for it to be translated to English, and it's, it's a nice read. I even listened to the audiobook. It's, uh, makes for a very atmospheric, uh, you know, experience. Hmm. Yeah, I love hearing that, and I'm sure you understand why, because... My favorite video game is 13, which is based off of an obscure comic book. So any video game that comes from literature, I like to appreciate just a little bit more. Also because of my film knowledge and how 
you know, literature and film dabble in the same way. I like to see literature and video games dabble in the same way. And it should. It should more often because I would say in some cases uh, making it into a video game can lend itself better to from the literature because in a game you get to... So in a movie you have to you have to kind of experience the book when you're watching a movie on rails. So like if a movie is following a book sometimes even if the adaptation is great you're still following this perspective through like this director's lens of like everything right. getting left and right with a game you are that movie character except you can explore that world to your heart's content so actually that's something i hope is explored more often um now that i think of it that might even be worth an episode at some point in its future but for now the idea of exploring your favorite book like provided it's like a really fleshed out book series is a very interesting one hmm uh, so, with everything, yeah, with everything that's been happening and the games that they've produced and their contribution to not only gaming but world, the the landmark, I mean, the inspiration for Stalkers certainly came from uh, the disaster in Chernobyl, considering it is A, based off of a Chernobyl-style disaster, but B, because Chernobyl is in Ukraine, and oh, yeah. a lot of uh, when it occurred, it was part of the USSR. But it was it distinctly is, in Ukrainian like soil. Like they yeah. themselves had to deal with the literal fallout. Yeah, it was Soviet Russia's failure, but it happened on Ukrainian soil, and that is a that is a slap to the face if I've ever heard one politically in in the in the state of things. I mean, I can completely understand why they would have this fear that they would the Russians would return. Because, yeah, they are. And the fact, ugh, ugh, it's just all, ugh. I know, it's a, it's a very... Frustrating, yeah, it's like, like ugh, it's, it's, it's pissing me off. I know, it's a very frustrating endeavor, and I tune, into the, I tune into the latest updates maybe, like, once or twice a day just to kind of see that hopefully, yes, they're holding it back. Yes, they're yeah. kicking their ass. They're showing that, and I'm going to say this, the Russians are a bunch of paper tigers, and... Yeah. I am so glad that Ukraine is, at least for the time being, and hopefully this stays true, is holding them back. And hopefully this can stay the reality. But speaking of, because we were talking about Chernobyl a second ago, um, just because it's relevant, um, have you actually seen the HBO series? No, I haven't watched the entire thing. but It's, it's fantastic. It's only five episodes, but it's fantastic. It is such a good dramatization of the events about why Chernobyl happened, like how the plant actually melted down. And, like, the effort to make sure it didn't get worse. Because there was a... And this is crazy. There was a part where they had to seal off some sort of water, you know, pipes. Basically, the long story short of it is if water had reached this certain area, it would have caused this explosion to the tune of, like, several uh, Hiroshima's over. And a bunch and a couple of um, volunteers went in into irradiated water in pitch black darkness to shut those valves off so the water wouldn't reach the... Uh, you know, the melted down reactor. Absolutely harrowing. Like the it's such a good show. Like if you if you watch anything next, you should watch that. It's only five episodes and it's fantastic. I think it even won some awards. I think it did, if I remember correctly. I was actually paying attention to it in the media because I was very curious about it. The only part of that series that I've seen is on YouTube when he's explaining to his commander the level of radiation that's leaked out of the facility and he stated like oh well you know 50 parts per million is you know survivable well, what's out there and he goes 
500,000 parts per yeah. million. And it's just like, it's all spewing at like that second, 500 parts per million, a second is spewing out of that facility. And they're just like, we're all dead. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. And uh, the whole, the whole show, the whole events, the real life events are absolutely insane. And I think I remember reading that it'll take another 20,000 years for that area directly around it to be habitable again. Like people can go live there without, well, getting radiation and dying. Right. It, it's, grasping that concept is unfathomable because we can only really truly perceive, you know, our own lives, which are as simple as I didn't eat breakfast this morning to as complicated as how am I going to get through the rest of the day? But Right. I mean, even this pandemic, the, the two years we've gone through it, <laughs> even this, these two years feel like forever, but completely nothing in the grand scheme of, well, Everything, but for this, for all types of purposes, you know, Chernobyl, Ukraine, yeah. this invasion. So, but to bring it back, Ukraine as a country has been through a lot in its history. A lot of it is, most of it, honestly, is Russia's fault. I mean, this most recent event, absolutely. Uh, Stalin imposed, like, uh, basically a genocide on the country in the uh, early 30s, which, again, this is uh, quite the topic already, but I just wanted to bring attention to this because... Ukrainian people have been through a lot over the last couple hundred years, and but even still, they want their culture, as anybody would, to survive, persist, and do great things. And the stuff that we've named here at the gaming, I mean, there are a bunch of studios I didn't name, like smaller ones that still have contributed a bit, but even still, the gaming is only one bit of it. Ukrainian culture, art, is very fantastic stuff, and I really hope in the future, like, long down, long way down the road, when everything's... Ukraine wins. Like, I hope, you know, Ukraine wins and pulls them back, pushes them back. Oh, I know they will. I, I want them to, I want to go see the country for myself. I want to go see, Ki- I want to go see Ki- Kiev, Lviv, and other cities. And I want to go see its culture. I want to give it the attention that I wish I had given it before. But honestly, it's tough because the world's a big place and it can be very distracting at times. But I want to give that country my respect in the future. So, me too. Ukraine, keep kicking Russian ass. Yeah. You're going to win this war because you're on the right side of it. And you've got home field advantage. So kick their ass. Yeah. Uh, well, we, what I would like to take this moment to do is acknowledge that what Russia is doing is a cultural cleansing, which is why Absolutely. he was, he was associated with Hitler when he first uh, declared this invasion. The news was coming out of Places like Kiev and Maripool and the coastal island of, what is it, Snakehead? Yeah, Snakehead Island is where they, like, told the Russian warship to go fuck themselves. Go but... fuck themselves. That is the type of people. And they that sunk you... that ship. Fuck you. <laughs> right? Ugh. That is the type of people that Ukrainians are. They are their separate own people with their own culture and what Russia is trying to do is just paint paint the map red just nope you know you you're Russian and you know you're Russian deep down you know you're Russian They're, he's telling them who they are and that will nope. never win it, it never has and it never will and that's why we keep supporting movements like this during times of crisis we have to 
remember where the benefit lies greatest on. And for us, it's to be able to say to aggressors that we are who we are and that nothing will change that. Although I will add one addendum to that. Um, U.S. kind of uh, said no to a lot of Indian civilizations, but we're going we're gonna, to, you know, put that aside. <laughs> we're going to ignore that any of that happened because America is the only country that can commit war crimes. <laughs> That's right. Going all the way back to the time of the Indians. But anyway, that is a geopolitical, as for a geopolitical podcast, as for a historical podcast, that can do a better job of telling those atrocities than we can. But for now, just sticking with Russia and Ukraine, they will push the Russians back and they will preserve their culture because in the end, they want more than the Russians do. So you will not subjugate a country of 44 or 45 million people. It just will not happen no matter how hard you try. So, but I wanted to take the last couple minutes and highlight two things. Game studios that have actually donated money to the Ukrainian effort and some charities that if you guys are actually interested in you know, donating to, you very much can do that. And the game studios have very much helped them. As much as we rag on Fortnite, it says here they've raised, as of March 21st, $36 million for humanitarian relief for Ukraine. So as much as I rag on them, good job, guys. Yeah. In fact, by as of April 4th, because I'm seeing the update on this, it's up to $144 million. Together, wow. It says with the Fortnite community of Xbox, uh, they've raised $144 million. Uh, Ex- yeah, well, the Fortnite community, you know, that is, I know that we, you know, rag on the game and the way it's played, but it's players are probably some pinpoint players who listen, and it's it's you guys out there who are making the difference by contributing, so thank you. Absolutely, and then uh, other places like Humble Bundle, which are partner often with a lot of good charities, in mm-hmm. this case, no exception. On March 18th, Hubble Bundle announced the same with the Ukraine Bundle, running through March 25th, so it's over already, but even still, it's okay. With over 120 games, books, and software, 100% of the, this proceeds uh, were donated to humanitarian relief efforts in Ukraine. So, good on you guys. Square Enix uh, down, donated half a million dollars. Riot Games donated, um, as of March 29th, they've raised $5 million. Bando Namkai has... Looks like they've donated um, a little under a million dollars. Antic. Oh, the Pokemon Go. Okay, so I, I was like, huh, that name sounds familiar. Um, they've donated money. Um, I can't see them out there, but I'm sure they're contributing. Nintendo themselves. So what I from uh, what I know about Nintendo is that they've recently uh, deactivated their Nintendo Switch shop in Russia, and that there are no longer going to be trades going into Russia from Japan, but I'm not sure if Nintendo itself has don- uh, publicly donated to Ukrainian efforts in a, an attempt to avoid conflict. So I'm not sure if they've donated because I don't see anything here, but I, everything you just said about restricting stuff to Russia, that's much true. PlayStation themselves um, announced a $2 million donation to the nation's high commissioner for refugees and the NGO Save the Children. And there are... A bunch of others. I mean, Epic Games has donated some money. Activision. So a lot of companies out there that care. I mean, this list is long. Like I've only gone through maybe a quarter of it. So I'd be here for like ten minutes naming them all. So rest assured, a lot of game companies care about Ukraine. And now the second part that I think that's very important. If you'd like to donate. There are a lot of charities out there. Um, too many to name. I'll name some few. There's um, World Vision, 
there's you know map international there's um project hope there's there's a lot for this episode in particular i'm going to leave a link about uh, charities that you can donate to to direct, directly help the people of ukraine i'm going to leave it in the description of this podcast something i don't usually do i usually do a boilerplate description but this time this is important i want to call it out yeah and like i said earlier it's it's really the contributing members of communities who are making the effort one uh one donation or bundle that i came across was from the i itch so the itch.io bundle for ukraine hosts over a thousand video games worth over $6,500 with a minimum of $10 donation. All the proceeds go to a charity, the International Marine Corps, which provides medical assistance in the region, as well as Voices of Children, a Ukrainian organization, organization that helps children cope with the horrors of war, the PTSD, the re- readjustment to school, and getting back to being kids a lot of these games are kid oriented things like uh dumpy and bumpy <laughs> which is like a godzilla type uh bomber man video game as well hey, anything for the kids anything to help them uh, you know like we were saying earlier video games were a great distraction for us but over a thousand games for a minimum doll uh, of ten dollars for a donation uh all the proceeds go to those those two charities you can find it at itch.io bundle for ukraine thank you for that so yeah wonderful things out there wonderful charities out there so but as it stands this is uh how we're gonna close out uh, season four it's uh not quite the way we're gonna close the season when this whole thing started back in when we started the season back in i think november but world's quite different than it was even just four or five months ago yeah it's a, it's amazing what can happen in a, a few months in fact, yeah, it's been a while since, now that I think of it, it's been a while since we've recorded an episode, because we were talking about what to do next, and then events happened in Ukraine, and we find ourselves really, like, getting down to how we should approach it, considering the news that uh, Nintendo is delaying a video game because of the world events. Yeah, and I should stress, we're not a news podcast, geopolitical podcast, like a current events podcast in this sense. Yeah. But we figured this was too important to not talk about. And I mean, it's just, it's important. It's a humanitarian thing. And just like that, it's, I think it's something we should talk about. And that's, you know, we're going to do stuff like this in the future. I mean, it's not our usual thing, no, but it's a current event. It's very important to what's going on. We should definitely talk about it. So thank you all for listening to this season and kind of going along for the ride and make the our best show that we possibly can and talking about you know a tragedy in ukraine is no exception so stay tuned for season five (laughs) we've got a lot of great things coming up yo yo guys we got season five (laughs) but yeah guys thanks for tuning in uh we're gonna wrap this season up and we'll catch you in the next season we hope that you tune in to that where we are we'll be exploring a couple of different ideas with nintendo and their franchises and their intellectual properties and uh yeah it's gonna be a it's gonna be a great time yeah so we're gonna give you a sneak peek our first episode is gonna be about old mario movie and we're just gonna leave it at that it's gonna be a it'll be a good one guys but again 
if you like this episode being different from our usual ones, um, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and a five star on both. Doing such helps us greatly with outreach, helps us get a new audience, helps us get new listeners. Yeah, and reach out to us uh, through our Gmail. We have uh, our email account is pinpointplayers at gmail.com. You can send us different uh, idea suggestions as well as criticism or uh, praise. You know, if you guys want to hear about a certain topic, that is the best way to get in touch with us, pinpointplayers at gmail.com. But we also have an Instagram account. That's right, folks. We like to post video game memes every now and again, and we uh, find it a very engaging platform. So if you'd like to share some ideas on that, you can find us at pinpointplayers on Instagram. And with that, thank you guys for tuning into this season and listening to every episode, and, and we'll see you for the season five opener. Take it easy, pinpoint players.